Well, hello again, everyone. I'm Tony Payne. Welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, and quite a significant edition this time around. I've got some quite exciting news about what's coming next for The Painful Truth. Some fairly big changes are coming in the next month or so, but I'll tell you about those in just a little while. But first, I want to get to today's main topic. One of the things that I've loved doing over the last couple of years at The Painful Truth every now and then is having a conversation with readers and listeners to The Painful Truth uh, and to hear from them what they're doing in ministry, what they have learned and been encouraged by and how they can encourage us to bring the truth of Christ crucified to every aspect of our lives and ministries. And I'd say that looking back over the last couple of years, the prize for quantity and quality of interaction in The Painful Truth would have to go to one person, someone who's written in, posted comments on the website, and generally been a, a real Barnabas, a son of encouragement to what we're doing here at The Painful Truth, and who's contributed so many interesting thoughts, and that would be John Lavender. You might have seen John's name pop up on the posts in the comment sections quite often. John is a church planter, a minister here in Sydney. Uh, he's no longer working in parish ministry and church ministry. He's been working for the last couple of years with evangelism and new churches. If you're outside of Sydney, that's an organisation that the Sydney Anglican Diocese has set up to promote and resource evangelism around the place. And John's main job over the last couple of years has been to travel around and visit churches and work with them to encourage and improve evangelism. And for quite a while now, I've been wanting to chat to John and pick his brains about what he's learned going around talking to lots of different churches about how their evangelistic endeavours and activities are going. And what follows is an edited version of the conversation that John and I recently had. I also must say that of all the different interviews that I've had and done over the last couple of years, this is the one that was most technologically a disaster. Everything that could go wrong pretty much did go wrong. We were wanting to speak in person. We were foiled in that attempt. Then the Zoom and internet kind of connection that we had, the particular platform we were using to record it remotely, wasn't working very well. Then we had actual internet and sort of 5G problems, 4G problems. I would have been satisfied with 2G if I could have got it. But basically, it meant that a bunch of the audio that I recorded ended up being basically unusable. And I've had to reconstruct uh, the interview, uh, what I could salvage from our audio interview, um, kind of after the fact. So uh, my recordings, my voice was almost was either silent or unusable for most of the um, of the talk. And John's was also not great at some for some of it as well. So my apologies in advance for slightly mashed together quality of what what follows basically i'll be reconstructing the questions that i asked john and dropping in his answers so i started by talking about john's work with evangelism and new churches and in particular what he sees and has found as he's traveled around and visited and looked and talked with many churches around sydney and I started by asking him about the good news stories, about the good things that he sees happening. We kind of get told quite often that everything's doom and gloom, that there's no evangelism happening, that the church is in decline. According to the census, apparently, you know, Christianity is beating a rapid retreat. This doesn't really tell the story of what's happening on the ground in different places, certainly as far as I observe. And I was interested to hear what John saw about the good things that are happening as he goes around and visits churches. And this is what he said. 
so many uh, good news stories, uh, just little things like a guy who would uh, meet a new neighbour and uh, strike up conversation with him and then boldly say, would you like to read the Bible with me? And they say yes. So he works through the Bible with them, invites them to church. Um, or a group of ladies who connect with uh, new people that move into their street and provide meals for them um, and, and have, have chats and then invite them to church. Just little things like that where people are encouraged to take initiative to invite, read the Bible, come to church, stuff like that. That's, that's wonderful. Uh, in terms of the bigger picture, some of the churches that I've visited uh, are just so committed to helping people come to know Jesus. So they've got a really good structure, there's really good training, the church is welcoming, you arrive, you're followed up, the vibe's good, people show interest in you, the sermon's engaging, and then you're invited along to something, a good follow-up course. It's, it's really good. And Sure, there are churches where there might only be one or two converted every now and then, and that's encouraging. But I've I've been in contexts where there are churches, they're having 10 and 20 and 30 new people coming each week. Uh, there are churches where there are significant large numbers of people visiting, hearing the message about Jesus, responding, wanting to find out more, coming along to something like exploring Christianity. And, and saying that they want to become Christians. It, I mean, stuff like that. Yeah, that, It's just great. It's, it's very, very encouraging. The other side of that, of course, is that it isn't always such good news. There are churches where evangelism isn't really going so well at all. And so I asked John about that, about what he's observed in churches where evangelism is weak. This can be a little bit sad because you just see people that don't see gripped. They're not gripped by the message of who Jesus is or they don't see that they have a role to play in speaking about Jesus. There are churches which just aren't, haven't connected at all with the, the suburb or the people or the, uh, the community around them. So that, that's, that's really sad. Um, some of the churches are not really sure how they can actively go about reaching the people around them. Uh, people are either reluctant, that are afraid to share their faith, or they're not really sure what to say. They're not really sure how they can bring Jesus into an everyday conversation. And I'm really encouraged because the ministers or different people will say, John, come and help us. How can we do these things? How can we raise the evangelistic temperature of our church? How can people be better equipped to how can the people of the congregation be better equipped to to talk about Jesus? How we, can we connect with people who aren't coming? How can we follow them up? What are the sort of strategies we can do? So they're very encouraging things that people want to give that a crack. I then asked John, for churches where the evangelistic temperature has cooled off somewhat and not much is happening, what does he think the main problem often is? What's the heart of it? Before I point at other churches, I want to think about myself, and I do this quite honestly. I, one of the two of the passages that I'm really 
passionate about are 2 Corinthians 4 and 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 4 uh, talks about how we, um, we've got our eyes not on uh, the things of this world, but our eyes on eternity. Uh, we are, I'm just so conscious that so often myself, I have got my sight set on the things of this world, not so set on eternity. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, the Apostle Paul talks about he, he is compelled by Christ's love. He's convinced of Christ's love. Uh, I want to be convinced of that every day. I want to be compelled by that every day. In uh, Towards the end of Chapter 5 and in Chapter 6, he talks about the urgency. And I just think myself, our world, our churches, we are lured into chasing the things of this world. We're not fully convinced of who Jesus is and what he's done. We're not aware of the importance of being Christ's ambassadors. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that. And we're certainly, we're not gripped by the urgency of the whole, of the whole thing. There's eternal uh, death, there's eternal judgment, um, there's eternity, living forever with God, and we're just not compelled or convicted by these things. So I really want to work hard to help change the focus and help people see there are eternal issues here at stake. We need to be convinced about what Christ has done for us. Uh, Paul was convinced of those things. He was compelled by those things, and he said his whole life uh, based on things. So that's what I really want to try and encourage people in uh, in churches to be to be on about and to be thinking about. Well, the next question to ask, and it was the one that I did ask, was what do we do about that? How do we raise the conviction level? How do we increase the sense of urgency and heart for evangelism in a congregation? Um, I think working through chapters like 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians 5, um, the another one is Matthew 9, when Jesus looks at people and he sees them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, uh, really encouraging them to prayerfully seek to have Jesus' vision of the world. If I could go back to that 2 Corinthians 4, I've heard Rico Tice, the English evangelist, talk about how um, Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of Christ. And he has this line that we preach Christ and God opens blind eyes. We preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. But I think what I want to help people see, what I want to see, is that there's a spiritual battle here involved. We're involved in a spiritual battle and we need to pray. Will we, will I, will we regularly pray for the people that God brings across our path that we would be bold enough to speak to them about Jesus? And as we speak to them about Jesus, that God will open their blind eyes, unblock their deaf ears, and soften their hard hearts so that they would be able to see the glory of, of Christ. So that's what I want to talk about with people. Will you pray? Will you be bold? Will you take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to, as, as again, as Rico Tice talks about, cross the pain line to bring Jesus into the conversation? And uh, whether you get hostility or whether you get hunger, Keep talking with people about Jesus because I don't believe any of this stuff that you hear in the media that people are not interested in, in, in spiritual things. I think they are. 
and with prayerful wisdom, I think we can bring Jesus into into conversations. The next question I asked was about practical ideas. If that's how we address the conviction and the heart of people, what about practical structures or ideas for evangelism that he is seeing in churches that churches are finding useful or effective? Yeah, um, I think I've been very conscious that a lot of... Um, so Jesus um, calls people to be to fish for people. And I think I'm very conscious that a lot of... 21st century fishing, we go out on our own. You know, we sit in the boat on our own. We go out in the rock ledge on our own. But I think a lot of uh, first century fishing was done together. So I really want to try and encourage uh, churches to set up groups, two, three, five, six, ten people working together involved in the work of evangelism, fishing for people. So that as a group, they're praying for uh, connections, they're praying for contacts, they can share their frustrations, they can share their disappointments, they can be praying about people that uh, they, they're having conversations with Jesus about. They can even be doing things, they can have lunches and dinners where they can invite non-Christian uh, neighbours and, and people along. So trying to set up uh, things like that, having structures in place uh, like that, I think is really helpful where groups of people are not fishing alone because it can be discouraging fishing alone, but you're fishing in a group. And then at that point in our conversation, the audio got particularly bad and we lost a little bit, but I was able to pick it up again, or John picked it up again, talking about some of the particular resources and approaches that he's found useful or has seemed to be helpful, starting with... Christianity Explained. Uh, the the beauty why I liked Christianity Explained was we were able to, in the church we were at, we were able to adapt it into something that was run over four weeks. And you could invite people, say you'd bring a friend along to sit in Christianity Explained uh, and, and, and you could bring your mate and, and they'd sit in with you. And we just found that that four weeks it's really hard to get people to commit so, so longer than uh, four weeks. Just life is so difficult. We found that was a really helpful thing. I know that other people have done, um, uh, what's the one? Is it Exploring Christianity? What's the video? I think Christianity Explored was the one that John was searching for there. Yeah. So I think those courses can be really, really helpful. But I'm also more and more aware that, if you can encourage and equip people to, to ask the question, would you like to read the Bible with me? Now, I know that's a terrifying thing, but I think there are resources out there like Word One-to-One -one where you can sit down with someone. I've heard of churches where they do it. They sit down and they have they might do wine and cheese and they'll sit down one-to-one -one and they work through the Gospel of John. And I've heard some terrific stories of um, people sitting down with non-Christian workmates or neighbours or friends or family going through word one-to-one, -one, reading the Bible together. Um, it, it, at first it might seem a bit threatening, but when you start to hear the stories of where it's working well, I think that's a really exciting and, and a really helpful initiative, something like that. At this point in the conversation, I dropped in 
a variation on that theme, that of asking someone to read the Bible with me, that I've seen on campuses around Australia and that we're trying a little bit at UNSW as well. And that's not just Bible pairs, that is asking an individual to read with me, but Bible triplets, evangelistic Bible triplets. And so the question is not, would you like to read the Bible with me? But I'm going to be reading the Bible with my friend Jeff, wondering if you'd like to join us. And often this is an easier invitation, and it's an interesting dynamic when there's three of you reading the Bible together rather than just two. And many places, and especially many campus ministries around Australia, have found these Bible evangelistic triplets have been a really interesting and helpful and useful way of beginning an evangelistic conversation and relationship with someone around the Bible. The next thing John talked about, music to my ears, was Two Ways to Live, and thankfully the audio for this one survived. And look, if I could give uh, your Two Ways to Live a plug, I think it is really great uh, having, I think you talk about, one of the things I've heard you talk about is that Two Ways to Live is a framework to help you know where to go in terms of these conversations about Jesus so that if you understand the basis behind each of the, the six frames, you've got a really good idea of where conversations need to go and where they're heading. At this point in the conversation, we went on to talk about a number of other different kind of methodologies that churches use, and I'm very sorry to say that the audio for that section was not really very good at all and is not really usable. But one of the really excellent things that John said was that the churches he's seen that have got it together and seem to be going well evangelistically use a mix of approaches. That is, they recognize that the path that someone goes on, a non-Christian person goes on, from first coming into contact with a Christian person or coming back into contact with church in some way, finding out about Jesus, asking their questions, becoming convicted and convinced of the truth of the gospel, putting their trust in Jesus— this is often a long path. It often takes many different contacts, many different approaches and many different interactions with the gospel before the penny drops and someone responds to who Jesus is. And so the churches who recognize this have a number of different things in their evangelistic pathway, if we can put it that way, that introduce people into contact and engagement and awareness of, of church and of the gospel and of Jesus and have a number of different ways for them to engage and interact over time. And this is where the old dichotomy, false dichotomy, I guess you'd say, between attractional and missional approaches kind of breaks down. And I like the way John put this. I'll drop in this bit of audio. It's not great, but it makes a great point. Churches that I've seen that have really got it together have a really good mix of go and tell so they're actually equipping people to be able to go out and, and speak about Jesus, who he is, what he's done for me. But they've also got a whole lot of come and see. Uh, come to my church and hear this men speak or at a breakfast or a woman's women speak or at an afternoon tea. Or come and hear the sermon series we're doing at the moment as we look at the life of Jesus in the book of Luke. So this mix of go and tell and come and see, churches that have got that together, and it's just so encouraging. Go and tell and come and see. That seems to be the, the mix. Go and tell, 
and come and see. That seems a really good summary to me of the kind of training and pathway and approach that go and tell and come and see. I really like that as a summary. It's what you see in the New Testament as well. You see Christians going out and engaging in the marketplace with outsiders and having gracious conversations with them or providing answers uh, to the go and tell and come and see. I really like that as a summary. It's what you see in the New Testament as well when you think about it. You see a lot of go and tell. You, of course, see the evangelists and apostles going out into the marketplace and proclaiming the gospel uh, in the midst of the non-Christian world. And you see Christians engaged in conversation with outsiders, such as in Colossians 4, where they engage in gracious, salty conversation with those outside, or in 1 Peter 3, where they're giving an answer to those who ask them for the reason of their hope. But you also see a little glimpse in the New Testament of people coming into the church, and especially uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, where the outsider who's in our midst is struck by the presence of God, uh, in our midst through the prophecy, through the speaking of the word of God and is convicted by it. I like that mix and I like the way John put that. And I just want to thank John once again. And I just want to thank John once again for coming on. And I just want to thank John once again for all his encouragement over the last couple of years and for coming on and talking about what he's learned both in his own ministry uh, from his reflection on the scriptures and from visiting churches recently and talking with them about their evangelism. It was very helpful, and my apologies once again that technology let us down. It was partly my fault, but also just partly the nature of technology. And I'm glad that we could rescue at least something of our conversation, and I hope that was helpful. Now, as promised, on to some news about some changes for The Painful Truth that are coming up. I've been pausing to think about where we're heading with The Painful Truth recently. I've been doing this now for around two and a half years, we're up to episode 119 or 120 or something. And as I've looked back, and as I've looked back over what it's all been like and what we've been, and as I've looked back and thought about, well, where to from here? What's next? How could I improve this? Or what should happen next? I've had two main thoughts. The first one is simply that I'd really like to keep doing this. In God's kindness, I think it's been a successful experiment. Certainly from my point of view, it has been. The discipline of having to write something each week and put something out has really helped me and, and sort of focused me in the writing work that I, I've been doing. And I found it useful as a structure. But more to the point, um, in God's kindness, it seems like it's been worthwhile for others as well. And you've been very helpful and encouraging in encouraging me to keep doing this sort of work and keep uh, sending out these newsletters and podcasts each week. So I'm planning to keep doing it, certainly for the time being. But I've also looked back and thought how good it would be from here on if I could find someone to do it with, if I could find a partner in crime, someone to work with regularly, someone not just to share the load of creativity and of coming up with stuff all the time, but so that mine is not the only voice that you're hearing, and so that there's the... The blessings of two being better than one, as Ecclesiastes puts it. And it turns out that recently, over the last couple of months, I've managed to find a partner in crime. An old crim that I've done many jobs with in the past, Philip Jensen. Who would have thought? What a radical idea. Philip's recently started a podcast of his own, and we've been talking recently about how to improve that and grow that. 
And as we did so, it just seemed a logical step to join forces once again and see what we could do together. And given that Philip already has a very nice gospel-sounding name for the ministry that, under which he works, Two Ways Ministries, his ministry is called, I also thought it gave me a chance to freshen up the name of The Painful Truth. And to be honest, having my name in the title of this podcast has never been something I've been 100% comfortable with. So the opportunity to have a name change and a rebrand, I didn't mind at all. So in a few weeks' time, The Painful Truth will be relaunching or rebranding as Two Ways News. Two Ways News will be a regular weekly newsletter and podcast just like this one. And it will be delivered very much as this one is through podcast apps and through the Substack platform. The new website address for the site will be twoways.news, twoways.news. And in many ways it'll be the same, but I hope different and better. I'll still be editing and driving the weekly newsletter and podcast, and I'll write the main article every second week on average. And then on the alternative week, Philip will set the agenda and will generate the main conversational content. And each week, we'll still have a podcast to talk about the main topic or subject together, whether that's the article that I've written or the topic that Philip wants to discuss. Uh, as in this week's episode, where we talked with John Lavender, we're also planning to bring in other voices and guests um, into the podcast as well regularly. And we've got all sorts of other ideas for different sorts of podcasts and content, but that will happen down the track. What does it mean for you for the time being? Well, in one sense, not a lot. Things will mostly stay the same. You don't have to sign up again for the email newsletter or change anything there. I'll just basically be changing the name of the newsletter and the podcast uh, from The Painful Truth to Two Ways News and bringing Philip on board as a regular conversation partner, as a regular contributor. But there will be two practical changes. Uh, The first one is that every edition of the new podcast and newsletter, Two Ways News, will be available for everybody free every week. Uh, I've decided to change things up a little bit in this regard in terms of who gets what and how the paid subscription level side of things works. And in the new incarnation of The Painful Truth, in Two Ways News, the weekly newsletter and podcast will just go out free for anyone who wants it by just being a regular free email subscriber on the list, you'll get the newsletter every week. And you can subscribe in your podcast app to the podcast and you'll just receive it freely each time. Those who are currently partners of The Painful Truth or paid subscribers who contribute to the costs of of running this thing, they'll become members of what we're going to call the Supporters Club. And the Supporters Club members will get some special benefits. They'll get some bonus content and a few other things. But the main reason to become a supporter is really the main reason that most people do that now, and that's to support. That is to provide some help for me in doing this work. And so it'll be a bit less like a paywall where you have to pay in order to get all the content and more of a gospel partnership thing where if you want to support us in doing this work of putting out a podcast and newsletter each week, and it does cost money to do, of course, Uh, then you're able to do that by being a supporter. So if you're currently a free subscriber or a free podcast listener to The Painful Truth, you don't need to do anything at this point. When it relaunches in a few weeks' time, you'll just be getting more content. 
than you have been up to this point. You'll be getting every week's edition. And if you'd like to join the Supporters Club at some point and chip in to help uh, pay for it all, then of course you can do that uh, at any time and at any amount that you'd like to do so. There won't be a, a set or fixed amount that you need to contribute if you'd like to become a supporter. So that's the first main change. The second is a bit more minor and technical. We're going to send out the newsletter and the podcast as two separate feeds, as two separate emails, and that's for a range of reasons. And so by default, if you're on the email list um, for The Painful Truth, um, you'll get both emails, the newsletter email and the podcast email, and it's very easy to unsubscribe to one or the other of those. You just click unsubscribe, it takes you to a page and you can click which one you'd rather receive or not receive. But of course, if you're listening to this episode, this podcast in a podcast app, uh, you won't need to do anything much. It should just change the name and keep being sent out in the same way. So where to from here? Here's the timeline from here. There's still a little bit of work to do in pulling this new incarnation of the painful truth together getting everything set up uh, and I'm also due to have some holidays in the next couple of weeks uh, from late September to early October so over the next few weeks here's what's going to happen this will be the final edition of the newsletter and podcast under the painful truth name I'll be pressing pause for a few weeks while I do the work uh, on the changeover and get things ready to launch the new thing and as well as I'm taking some holidays for a couple of weeks and so the first edition of Two Ways News, of the newsletter and the podcast, we're aiming to send out on Thursday, October the 13th, in a few weeks' time. Thursday, October the 13th. So you won't hear from me for about a month, but when you do hear from me again, it will be under a new name, Two Ways News, and with a new partner in crime, Philip Jensen. Now, I hope all that makes sense, and I hope this new stage of our adventure will be as encouraging and helpful and useful as these last couple of years have been. I just want to thank you again for reading and for listening, those of you of course listening now to this podcast, for your support and for your involvement and for your encouragement. And I'm really looking forward to whatever God has in store for us next. Well, that's about all. Get in touch, of course, as always, with your feedback or questions. You can contact me at tonyjpayne at me.com. That's all for this week. I'm Tony Payne. Bye for now.